say welcome uh, to those of you who are here with us this morning. I also want to welcome our online uh, church family as well. As we get started, I want to pause uh, just for a moment and kind of reorient our minds and our hearts with all the chaos that's going on uh, in the world just, just by praying before we dive into the Word. So would you, would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we, uh, we come to you, and uh, I think most of us would have to uh, just be honest and confess. I would have to be honest and confess that um, my mind and my heart is distracted uh, this morning with everything that's going on in the world. And so, Father, I just pray that you would remind us by the power of your spirit uh, this morning that even though the nations rage, your throne remains steady forever and ever. And while these things may have caught us by surprise, they didn't catch you by surprise. And so, Father, would you help us would you give us comfort? Would you ease our anxiety? Would you allow us to hear from you this morning by the power of your word? Would you apply these truths by the power of your spirit into our hearts, into our spirits in a way that would actually make a difference, that we would leave here different men and women than what we came in as? And we ask that you would do it in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, if you, uh, if you are new here, uh, we don't always preach through books of the Bible, but we, we oftentimes do preach through books of the Bible. So we have been and are continuing in a series through the New Testament book of 1 Thessalonians. It's a message series entitled Holiness, Hostility, and Hope. And so we've been there for six, seven weeks. We're going to continue on. And I just want to kind of set the, set the pace for what we're going to be doing by asking you a question. Maybe this will jog your memory. Have you ever received some form of communication? Maybe it was, uh, I don't know, a text, uh, an email, a phone call. If you're, if you're like me, kind of Gen X or older, maybe an old-fashioned letter. You remember when people used to actually write letters and like fold it up, put it in an envelope and put a stamp on it and mail it? Uh, can you think back to, to receiving some kind of communication that just really blessed your heart and encouraged your soul in some kind of way? Can you, can, you, can you think back to a time where you received something and it was just like, man, it really impacted you, really encouraged you in some kind of way? Maybe for those of you who are high school age, college age, or you can remember back to high school, college, when you were applying to your favorite schools and you, you finally get that letter in the mail and it says, congratulations, you've been accepted into your school of choice, man. And it's just, man, it's exciting, it's encouraging. Uh, maybe for some of you, you remember back to a, perhaps a long distance relationship where you were in a dating relationship, maybe now they're your spouse, but you can remember back and maybe after a long day, I mean, you get that phone call and you see their number pop up on, on the screen and you're like, man, you get, my boo is calling me. I'm gonna get to talk to him, man. I hadn't seen him in like a month. You get super excited. Uh, for, for me, I remember back when Cheryl and I were uh, first started dating back in the dark ages around 2002, 2003. Uh, we, we didn't have social media. Texting wasn't really a thing. But listen, guys, we had AOL Instant Messenger, all right? Yeah, Y'all remember that? That was high tech, baby, back in the day, 0203. And every time I would come back to the dorm room, I would go and I would check my AOL Instant Messenger on my big, huge, fat computer, you know, that took up my entire desk. And if I saw that her little pink screen name popped up on my AOL Instant Messenger, I was like, bam, yeah, man. I was, now my boo wrote me, and maybe she would say something like, hey, I'm praying for you today in class, or 
I'm looking forward to have a dinner with you tonight or whatever it was, but it would just, man, just sing her name, just sing that communication from her would enliven my soul, man. It would, it would really encourage me, right? Genuine excitement. I think that we all can probably think back to some form of communication that really just kind of lit us on fire. That's exactly what we're gonna see from the apostle Paul as he expresses that same emotion towards the end of 1 Thessalonians uh, chapter three. And so if you have a Bible in your lap or on an app, please head for 1 Thessalonians chapter three. We're gonna, by God's grace, finish chapter three today. We'll be in verses six, six through 13. And, and if you happen to be joining us, you're, maybe you're new, first time, second time, uh, just let me set the stage for you. Paul and, Paul and Timothy, as well as Silas, they, they went into the city of Thessalonica. They plant this uh, brand new church, right? These people hear the gospel. Uh, many of them believe, they begin to follow Jesus. And so there's this brand new church that's formed. And, and Paul is, man, he lives life with them for a while. He disciples them, he mentors them. He grows to love these people. And then all of a sudden, as often is the case, persecution begins to break out against the church, against these brand new believers. So Paul and his companions are, are forced to flee the city. Paul is devastated by this. We saw just a couple of weeks ago, it just rips his heart out because he, he loves these people. He wants to be with them. He wants to see their, their faith grow and he wants to be a part of nourishing them to health in their walk with Jesus Christ. And yet he's forced to leave. He's heartbroken. He, even though he's in other, in other cities, he's, he can't stop thinking about them. He can't stop praying for them. And so finally he sends Timothy back kind of on a covert mission to find out what, what happened to them. Like, man, how, how are they doing? Paul is really concerned about these brand new baby Christians. And so Timothy finally, after a while, arrives back. He's got a report for Paul and he's, he's got actually good news. He's like, Paul, man, they're, they're all right, man. They're, they're, they're good. They're still standing strong in their faith. Even though they're being persecuted, they're still following Jesus. And this letter is, is Paul's response to that report from Timothy, right? And so, man, the great apostle is just brimming with excitement. He's so thankful that they're doing well, and he sits down and he pins this letter to them. And so we're, we're going to jump right back into where we left off from last week, uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, starting in verse 6. This is what uh, Paul writes to these new believers. But now, but now that Timothy has come to us from you, and has brought us the good news of your faith and love and reported that you always remember us kindly and long to see us as we long to see you. For this reason, brothers, in all our distress and affliction, we have been comforted about, about you through your faith. For now we live if you are standing fast in the Lord. For what thanksgiving can we return to God for you, for all the joy that we feel for your sake before our God, as we pray most earnestly night and day that we may see you face to face and supply what is lacking in your faith. And Paul, Paul as he writes this, he, he almost seems kind of giddy here, man. Like he's gotten this report from Timothy. Man, the Thessalonians are standing strong in the face of affliction and persecution. And Paul is just overwhelmed with gratitude. He's just almost beside himself here. And he is specifically grateful for three things that he hears about them. 
right? And I think these are three huge things that we probably, as, as followers of Jesus in, in a modern-day context in America in 2022, these are three things that I think we should probably uh, pursue in our lives that Paul recognizes in their lives, and, and they'll be on the screens for you. Number one is he, he's encouraged by their faith in Jesus. Look at verse 7 again. He says, For this reason... Brothers, in all our distress and affliction, we have been comforted, comforted about you through your faith. You see, Paul, Timothy, and Silas are, man, they're under constant threat of persecution and beatings and imprisonments and, and even death. And Paul is saying to these young brothers and sisters that he's just been ripped away from, he's going, listen, guys, even though we're getting our face smashed in over here, when we hear that you're standing strong in your faith, man, that just makes our hearts encouraged. It makes our hearts swell with, with excitement hearing that you're still following the Lord. Like the thing that keeps us going, even though we're bloodied and we're bruised, is seeing that your faith is flourishing. We love seeing that. Now, this idea, you should know, is repeated all throughout the entire New Testament. That as brothers and sisters in Christ, we, we are one, right? We, we're not like a family. I say, I've said this before. We're not like a family. We are a family. We're a spiritual family. When one of us hurts, we should all hurt. When one of us rejoices or celebrates, we should all rejoice and celebrate. Right? We're, we're encouraged in our faith by seeing the faith of others around us. And isn't this true? If you've been walking with Jesus for any amount of time, I can, I can say for sure it's true in my life. I can't tell you the number of times that I've been encouraged in my faith by watching the faith of someone else, by watching another believer, a brother or sister, walk through unimaginably difficult circumstances and cling to Jesus. And that just inspires something like in my heart and my soul. It makes my faith run deeper as well. And this is why when we hear, dear brothers and sisters, when we hear of our brothers and sisters around the world who suffer, we ought not just shrug our shoulders. Like, man, this doesn't affect me. It's not really affecting my life, so why should I care what's going on across the world? No, 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 we, we, we pray. Man, we hurt with our brother, even if we've never met them. We hurt with our brothers and sisters around the world. We provide relief where we can provide relief. We stand with them. And this week, I think the situation in the Ukraine especially has highlighted this reality in my mind. I, I came across a picture on social media that really just kind of brought this to life to me. Here's some brothers and sisters who are praying in the street in Kiev as Russian tanks kind of roll in to begin to uh, siege their city. They're on their knees. They're, they're, they're praying for God's protection and intervention. Man, I just want to say this morning, like, this is not something that should be unaffecting to our hearts and our lives. Brothers and sisters, the, these are the very people we will spend eternity with. We're going to spend forever with these people. We'll be worshiping around the throne for billions and billions of years. We should be moved by this. There's a Ukrainian pastor named Pastor uh, Vasil. His wife, four daughters, decided to stay in the city and be light in a dark time. And He's being interviewed, and I'm going to put a couple of his quotes on the screen. This is what he had to say. He said, we have decided to stay both as a family and as a church. When this is over, the citizens of Kiev will remember how Christians have responded in their time of need. He goes on to say, and I think this is powerful, if the church is not relevant at a time of crisis, then it is not relevant in a time of peace. Another church planter in the Ukraine 
says this. This is his quote. He says, there is only one true king. And the little tyrants of the world will ultimately only play into his great victory. His promises are sure, his victory inevitable. Now, these are our brothers and sisters in Christ. We ought to be moved by what they're walking through, by the fact that they're suffering, that some of them are dying, trying to defend their country. We should be moved to, to, to take the, these, these, these pains and these concerns into the throne room of God. We're going to spend some intentional time at the end of this message praying for our brothers and sisters across the world. But I just want to say, listen, if you're, if you're moved to go beyond praying, if you, want to, if you want to give in a practical, tangible way, I'm just going to put a website. You can take a picture of it if you want. It's, it's sendrelief.org slash projects slash Ukraine. This is one of our, our partners. Uh, it's a trusted uh, ministry. They're going to be working in countries surrounding Ukraine with the uh, hundreds of thousands of refugees that are going to be pouring in. They're already pouring into these other countries. And so if you want to give to a trusted source, that's a good trusted source that you can give to. But I just want to say, listen, if you aren't encouraged by the faith of others, and, and, and if your heart doesn't weep with believers who are walking through suffering, I just want to say in a loving way, man, you're not doing the Christian life right. We're called to be one family. Again, when one of us hurts, we all hurt. When one of us celebrates, we all celebrate. Paul sees this in the Thessalonians, and he loves that about him. He encourages it in them. And here's the second thing that he sees that I think should be mark, a mark of our lives as, as well. Number two, he sees their love for one another, and he loves that about them. Look at verse six. But now that Timothy has come uh, to us from you and has brought us the good news of your faith and your what? Your love. Now, we're going to talk about this more in just a few minutes, but Paul is comforted to hear how well they are loving one another in practical ways, even in the midst of affliction. And they, they, these, these believers really cared for one another. It was beautiful. And frankly, it was, it was one of the primary things that made the early church really explode in growth and influence. Here's the deal. People are drawn to communities that exhibit real love. Did you know that? The world back then, the world today, the, people are drawn to communities that exhibit real love because it's rare in the real world to see people that actually, genuinely, no strings attached, love each other sacrificially. And Paul sees this in the Thessalonians. He's encouraged by it, and he's encouraging them. He's like, guys, great job. Keep going. Keep loving each other. Keep pressing into your faith in Jesus. There's a third thing that he sees in their lives that he wants to encourage, and it's something that we should pursue in our lives. Number three, he sees their relational zeal for the body. Look about halfway through verse six. This will be on the screens for you. He writes this, and reported, this is Timothy's report, Timothy reported that you always remember us kindly and long to see us as we also long to see you. Then jump down to verse 10. As we pray most earnestly night and day that we may see you face to face. These believers love Paul. They love Silas. They love Timothy. They love those who have invested in them spiritually and Paul loves them back. Like, like, man, they, they just, they want to be together. And Paul says they want to be together in a very specific way. If you notice in verse 10, he says, they want to be together face to face. See, there, there's, a, there's a face to faceness about the Christian faith. 
I don't know if you knew that or not. There, there, there's a face-to-faceness. That, there's a distinctive about who we are as a faith community. We, we long to be with one another. We're designed to be together physically. We were designed to be able to look into each other's eyes and encourage each other to keep going. To be able to say to each other, brother, sister, man, I, I know it's hard right now. I know you're suffering right now. Keep going. Keep pressing into Jesus. He's still there. He's still good. We got your back. Don't stop. We were created to be able to hug each other in times of crisis. To cry with each other when we need to cry with each other. To high five each other when we celebrate. To lay hands on the sick and to pray for their healing as the scriptures command. We are designed to be together. There's a face-to-faceness. And this has become one of the primary things that concerns me about the COVID madness of the last two years is it seems to me that there have been so many people that have abandoned the face-to-faceness of Christianity, which is not a secondary thing. This is a primary and essential part of our faith journey. And I want to say, look, man, I'm happy. I celebrate technology. I'm glad that we can live stream. I'm glad that most other churches now are, are live streaming. And it, that's great, man. It's there for people who are at home, sick, traveling for business, on vacation. It's there for those who, like my own mother, have a very serious illness for whom it would be unwise even now to, to gather in a large group setting. But, but here's my concern, man. I think there are lots of healthy folks who are otherwise back to life. Back to work, back to school, back to vacations, back to eating in restaurants, back to all of that. But they have simply just gotten out of the habit of face-to-face faith practices. And I think if the Apostle Paul were standing on this stage today, I think he would echo the writer of Hebrews 10 who encouraged believers not to forsake the assembling, the face-to-faceness, the physical gathering of the body of Christ. Church, listen to me. We need one another. The people of Jesus desire to be with the family of God. People with authentic faith don't desire to be separated from other people of authentic faith. They long to be together. We are one family, never an island to ourselves in the Christian movement. Paul celebrates this. He sees this among these Thessalonian believers, and he celebrates it. Faith in Jesus Christ, love for one another, Relational zeal for the body of Christ, being together face to face. And then Paul closes this chapter with a beautiful prayer for these believers that he loves so deeply. Beginning in verse 11, Paul begins to pray this for them. Now may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus direct our way to you. And may the Lord make you increase and abound in love for one another and for all as we do for you, so that he may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus with all the saints. So Paul prays three things for them, and these are three things I think we ought to be praying for one another in the body of Christ, and I think these are three things we ought to be praying for ourselves. Number one, Paul prays that our love would grow deeper for one another. Now, again, this, this is a, a, a theme on repeat in all of Paul's letters, but especially this one right here. Love one another, love one another, love one another, love one another. Listen to how he says it in Galatians 6. He's writing to another church in the city of Galatia. He writes this on the screens for you. So then, 
as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone and especially to those who are the household of faith. We ought to love everybody, but it starts here. We got to love each other before we love anybody else. So let me just ask you, church, individually, how are you doing loving people in your church family right now? Like if somebody were to pull you aside at the coffee bar after the service, before the service, and say, hey, man, just curious, what two ways are you loving people inside the church body right now? What would your answer be? Would you have an answer? Would you be able to say, hey, well, there's a widow that I've noticed, and uh, I began a relationship with her, and so I'm hanging out with her on Friday nights. We just go get dinner, or we bring dinner over to her house so she wouldn't be lonely. Or there's a young single mom who is going through a really hard time, and so once a week we buy some groceries, and on the way home we drop the groceries off at her house. Or there's a there's a young mom in our community group who just lost a baby, had a, had a miscarriage, and so I'm taking her to coffee next week just to just to pray with her, just to cry with her if she needs to cry. There's a brother I know who just lost his job, and so our community group, man, we're pulling together our resources so they can pay their rent this month. What practical ways are you loving others in the body of Jesus? Because listen, guys, if we're not doing that, we are missing the heart of our calling. Because listen, if we, if we can't love each other well in here as a family, we've got no chance, no chance of effectively taking the light and life of Jesus into a dark world who in many cases doesn't even, doesn't even get us, doesn't understand us, thinks we're narrow-minded, bigoted people, don't even like us half the time. If we can't do that well in here, we got no chance of doing it out there. And then I think that's what Paul's getting at. It starts right here in the family of God, the bride of Jesus Christ. And we've got to love each other, not just in word, but also in deed. I listened to a uh, podcast this last week from a, a Christian leader guy who was saying he thinks that suffering is coming for Christians in America in a way that, that maybe we haven't experienced before in our history. And he was suggesting that we might even have to start these kind of radical ideas, like we may have to start pooling our resources together to take care of each other if we start losing our jobs for our faith in Jesus Christ. We may even have to do radical things like open up our homes to each other if we start losing our homes because of our faith. And listen, guys, I'm, I'm not an alarmist. I'm certainly, I'm not, a, I'm not a prophet. Only God knows what's coming for us. But here's what I do know. Learning to love each other well in the body of Jesus Christ is essential. It's essential in times of peace and it's even more essential in times of crisis and suffering and persecution. Now here's, here's the deal that comes along with that. In order to practice this well, listen guys, you have to know people and you have to be known by people in the church. In order to do what Paul is describing right here, you, you have to know and be known by others. That means, guys, listen, I'm not trying to step on anybody's toes. I'm just saying, that means that just attending or watching a service online for an hour a week is not gonna get you there. It's not gonna get you to where Paul is trying to get us as a faith family. Man, we, we've gotta really love each other well, which means we have to be in each other's lives. Not just shoulder to shoulder and we sing three songs and listen to a message for 30 or 40 minutes and then we walk out. No, we got, we got to know each other. When I'm suffering, I need somebody to know that I'm suffering so that they can walk with me, so they can advise me, give me counsel, pray with me, encourage my heart. 
When you're walking through a season of suffering, you need somebody to know so they can walk with you and talk with you and pray for you and encourage you. We gotta know each other. We gotta love each other as a family of Jesus. And this is what Paul is praying for these believers. And I believe it's a prayer we ought to pray for ourselves and one another. There's a second thing that Paul prays for, and it's this. Number two, that our love would begin to extend to the world. Yes, church family, it must start in here. It always starts in the family of God. But, but, but as we begin to, to really love each other ferociously in the family of Jesus, that then ought to begin to spill out into the world around us. I want you to listen to the words of Jesus in Matthew chapter 5. This is Sermon on the Mount, uh, most famous, longest sermon recorded by Jesus. Uh, I'm going to be reading a paraphrase from uh, the Message Bible, which I typically don't do. My seminary professors would be very disappointed in me, but I thought this was good enough, so I'm going to make an exception. All right, so this is from the Message, and, and don't send me any emails. I'm not going heretical. I just thought this was good, all right? So on, on the screens for you, Matthew chapter 5. This is, this is Jesus. He says this, you're familiar with the old written law, love your friend, and its unwritten companion, hate your enemy. I'm challenging that. I'm telling you to love your enemies. Let them bring out the best in you, not the worst. When someone gives you a hard time, respond with the supple moves of prayer, for then you are working out of your true selves, your God-created selves. This is what God does. He gives his best, the sun to warm and the rain to nourish to everyone, regardless, the good and the bad, the nice and the nasty. If all you do is love the lovable, do you expect a bonus? Anybody can do that. If you simply say hello to those who greet you, do you expect a medal? Any run-of-the-mill sinner does that. In a word, what I'm saying is grow up. I love that. Grow up, y'all. Your kingdom subjects, now live like it. Live out your God-created identity. Live generously and graciously towards others the way God lives towards you. Church family, we, we must love each other well. And as we begin to love each other well, we then can turn to the world around us and say, listen, we're going to show you what God is like. Because we're going to begin to love you with the love that he's loved us with. So even when you mock us and even when you persecute us and even when you don't get us and even when you, you hate us, we're going to love you. We're going to love you the same way that Jesus has loved us. And then Paul has one, one final piece of this prayer for these Thessalonian believers. Look at verse 13. Paul says this, so that he may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus with all his saints. So the third prayer that Paul prays for these people, I think we ought to be praying for ourselves. Number three, that we would walk in holiness in light of Jesus's return, the second coming of the Messiah. Paul is saying, listen guys, all this is, you may not realize it, but everything I'm talking about right now is preparation for something. Right, like, like we're, all this faith in Jesus that we're talking about, all this loving each other deeply and loving the world and learn, learning to walk in holiness, like all of this is preparation for something, namely that something is the return of Jesus. 
He's saying, guys, listen, we're, we're prepping for something important in life. Like Jesus is coming back, y'all. He's coming back. And it could be, it could be in our lifetime. And Paul is saying, listen, man, we ought to live today in light of that day. Because it could be any day. We ought to prepare now. We ought to pursue holiness in our lives now in preparation for the day that we all stand before the Holy One of God. There's a group of, uh, of young adults um, in our church, plus Pastor Jonathan, who uh, ran a half marathon this past weekend in another city. And um, I, I'm not a big runner. I like to work out and do all, all kinds of things. But if you ever see me running on the road, call the police. I'm being chased. I, um, I hate running with a passion. But there are those people who actually enjoy it. There's something wrong with them, I think. But um, they ran a half marathon, which I can't imagine running 13 miles, you know, without stopping. But um, I was asking them this past week, like, man, how do you, like, how do you prepare your body and your mind for something as grueling as, as that, like a two-hour, two-and-a-half-hour run, like no stop. You're just, you're just going. And uh, so they were telling me, a couple of them were telling me, well, this is, this is how you do it. You, you start out with a, a, a smaller number of miles. You do that for a number of weeks, and then you work your way up. And over the course of a number of weeks, you actually work up to like a 10-mile run in one, in one go. And, and that kind of prepares you to run the 13-plus-mile um, half marathon. Now, now just, just imagine if someone decided to just get up off the couch, right? Wipe the Cheetos off their chin, you know, and <laughs> the donut dust off their lip and go run a half marathon. How, how far do you think they would get? They would probably die. Like, you know, like <laughs> half a mile in, their heart's just going to explode in their chest. You know, there'd be bodies everywhere. They're not going to get far. Why are they not going to get far? Because they didn't prepare. That's why. They knew there was something coming. They knew there was an event that was going to happen, and they didn't prepare, and they're going to pay the price for it. In our spiritual lives, I think the Apostle Paul is saying is really, they're really kind of the same way. We live in preparation for what we know is coming down the road. We prepare today for what we know is coming tomorrow. And what lies ahead for us, according to the Apostle Paul, is the return of Jesus. And so we must prepare for that day. We must live today in light of that day, because it could be today, or tomorrow, or next week, or next month, or next year. We don't know. But we do know that it's coming. And that ought to influence the way that we live our lives. It ought to influence the way that we love. It ought to influence how deeply we go in our faith journey with Jesus. It ought to influence how we walk in holiness. It ought to influence all of those things. And so let me just kind of close with this. This is kind of a big idea on the screens for you. Church, let's live out, let's live out the ethic of love and walk in holiness. Why? Because Jesus is coming back. In light of that, man, let's go deeper in our faith. Let's go deeper in our love for one another and the world. Let's strive to walk in holiness knowing that that day could be today. The day that we see our King, our Savior, face to face. And so we pray, come quickly, Lord Jesus. Now I think in light of everything that's going on in the world, I think in light of the pain and suffering of thousands and thousands and thousands of our brothers and sisters in Christ in a nation called Ukraine right now and certainly other places in the world,
What we're going to do is spend just a few minutes in concentrated prayer asking for God's intervention before we finish up by singing. Listen, how many of you believe God hears the prayers of his people? I believe God hears the prayers of his people. And so what we're gonna do right now is we're just gonna, we're just gonna kind of storm together as a faith family. We did this in the nine o'clock service. We're gonna storm the throne room of God and we're gonna just pray out and say, God, God, we believe. God, we believe that you are all powerful. We believe you can do what man can't do. And when we look at the suffering in the world and we look at those who are in fear in the world and we look at those who are dying in the world and we, we look at everything that's happening in the world, we don't believe this is part of your, your ultimate plan and, and your kingdom ethic. And so God, we're asking that you would intervene, that you would do what man can't do. That you would turn around evil, that you would protect innocent life that you would allow the Ukrainian believers in a very unique way to present the hope of Jesus to those who are scared right now, those who are suffering, those who are bleeding and dying, that you would give them opportunities to point people to the hope that they have in Jesus. So church, I believe that God hears the prayers of his people, and so would we not come together right now for the sake of our brothers and sisters in Christ and for the sake of the great name of our great God, would we not beg God to intervene? So what we're gonna do right now, just for three or four minutes, I got some prayer prompts we're gonna put up on the screens. I'm just gonna encourage you to pray. Let's storm the throne room of heaven now, and then I'm gonna come back up and close this in just a few minutes. Proverbs, <clears throat> Proverbs 21 says, the heart of the king is in the hand of the Lord. Like rivers of water, he turns it wherever he wishes. And so, Father, we proclaim in faith that the heart of the king is in the hand of the Lord, that you map out time and eternity and events in world history. And we believe that your heart is moved by the prayers and the cries of your people. And so we come to you with a unified voice, God, and we ask you for the sake of your great name, for the sake of your people to intervene. We pray that you would repel uh, the unjust. We pray, Father, that you would protect the innocent. We pray for your church, our brothers and sisters in the Ukraine, Father, that you would give them unprecedented opportunities to share the good news of the gospel of Jesus with those around them, Father. God, we believe that you are the God that can move mountains, that you are the God that closes the mouth of the lion, that you can do more than we can ask or imagine, and so we ask that you would intervene, God, in an amazing way. And Father, we look forward to the day that you do come back, that King Jesus returns and establishes his kingdom forever and ever and ever. A kingdom where there will be no more suffering, where there will be no more tears, where there, there will be no more tanks and no more bombs, God. And so we long for that day, but until that day comes, God, we ask that you would deepen our faith in you. We ask that you would deepen our love for one another and the world around us, God. We, we ask you that you would prompt our hearts, that you would, that you would move us towards holiness, that our, our lives would not be conformed to this world, but that we would live for another kingdom so that others could see you in us. And we ask and we pray all these things in the beautiful in the strong name of Jesus. And all God's people said, amen. Church, let's stand and let's worship our King.